I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, and welcome to Wit and Reason. I'm your host, Dr. Alexis Moreno. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about a subject that a lot of people have actually experienced personally and have maybe even heard in the news of some celebrities experiencing as well. Um, On Healthline.com, they've um, mentioned that there's several celebrities who have openly discussed their complications and struggles with eating disorders. Demi Lovato has become become an unofficial spokesperson for young women with eating disorders since being treated for bulimia and anorexia in 2010. Paula Abdul, um, who was a dancer since the age of seven, has uh, felt insecure about her muscular frame and she began binging, purging and over-exercising things related to eating disorders. Russell Brand is another celebrity who has had similar struggles. Even Lady Gaga um, revealed on her site to Little Monsters that she struggled with anorexia and bulimia since age of 15. We've got Alanis Morissette, uh, Jordan Younger, Diana, Princess of Wales, Elton John, and Jane Fonda are also on this list of celebrities who have experienced eating disorders. And so what we're going to do on today's show is we're going to bring on two professionals who work at Rock Recovery, um, a local community center here in the DMV area, Christy Dendero betway and Kelly Dyer, to talk more about what exactly are eating disorders, what are the different types, what are the symptoms and signs, and how can we support ourselves and others create a healthier lifestyle. Welcome to Wit and Reason, hosted by psychologist Dr. Alexis Moreno. Dr. Moreno brings her expertise to providing smart and practical explanations on human behavior by interviewing diverse health experts regarding today's ever-evolving life and culture, turning social science and research into relatable, accessible, and useful information you can use. Listen now as Dr. Moreno brings a little bit of positive mental health to your day. Hello and welcome. Can you tell our listeners uh, your name and, and what you do? 
My name is Christy Dondera Betway, and I am the executive director for Rock Recovery, which is a DC based nonprofit that helps people overcome disordered eating. Thank you. My name is Callie Dyer. I am the director of development at Rock Recovery, as well as a resident in counseling in Virginia, practicing under Meredith Luttrell. Okay, and how long have you guys been involved with both working with people who experience eating disorders and um, specifically with this organization? So I've been working in the eating disorder field for about 10 years, officially with Rock Recovery for the last seven, and I myself have been recovered now from an eating disorder for about 12 years. Wow. So I just came on board at Rock Recovery in August, so very new to the organization Mm -hmm. as an employee, but was volunteering off and on for several years before that. And um, one of my internships was completed at Prosperity Eating Disorders and Wellness Center in Herndon. Okay, and and what what influenced you to work with this population, with people who are experiencing eating disorders? I think eating disorders are really particularly interesting in the way that it's an intersection of medicine as well as therapy. There's so much in terms of genetics and social factors. It's really a complex disorder. Um, And I think getting to the bottom of all of that was really intriguing to me. Right. And then how about for you? What, What inspired you to work particularly in this field, especially when you've experienced it yourself? Sure. A lot of it was really personal experience. And when I went through recovery, my parents were able to help pay for my treatment that I needed. And I met a lot of people along the way whose families couldn't support it or who patients themselves couldn't afford the care they needed to get better and felt really passionate about helping people get better. And it's hard enough to want to overcome an eating disorder sometimes to let it go, but Mm -hmm. to want to get better and not be able to pay for your treatment or access treatment is really devastating. And so I wanted to be a part of the solution for people. Okay. Yeah. And what was it like that, that process for you, um, to finding recovery? My process was a unique one in a lot of ways. I struggled from about 13 to 23 and didn't really realize that I had an eating disorder because mm-hmm. our culture can be so disordered itself. Sometimes right. it's easy to hide and not notice that you have a different problem. And so when I graduated college, my eating disorder really started to plummet and spiral downward. I had a friend who passed away from cancer and, you know, different changes and traumas can make eating disorder behavior really start to flare up. And for me, that change from college to real life Mm -hmm. felt really scary and I felt really unprepared for that. And... So I was starting to really struggle and I sort of happened upon this workshop that was being run at a local church for people with eating disorders. And in my little disordered brain, I thought, oh, I bet this course will help me lose more weight. I'll go for that. And then it turned out, I was like, oh, I actually don't need to lose any weight and Mm -hmm. I have an eating disorder. And so from there, I got involved with the treatment team, worked with a great psychologist and dietitian, and was a part of a support group that really helped walk me through the recovery process. Yeah. So how, how would um, both of you describe like what an eating disorder is? Because as you mentioned from your own personal experience, um, it could kind of be hard to identify what exactly is just part of this dieting culture and what is an actual disorder. We often use the term disordered eating for that very reason at Rock Recovery because sometimes you think, oh, I don't, I'm not severely underweight or I don't look a certain way or act a certain way, surely I'm fine. And there are three main eating disorders that people typically work with and exhibit, and that's anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder, which people are a little less familiar with, even though it's the most prevalent of all the eating disorders. And then there's two lesser known 
um, eating disorders, one of which is called ARFID, which is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, which is a little bit more about texture and picky eating than weight and shape based concerns. Mm -hmm. And then there's OSFED, because we love the acronym. So OSFED (laughs) is Otherwise Specified Feeding and Eating Disorder, which again, with some people, if you don't fit all the diagnostic criteria for a certain eating disorder, you can kind of still be summed up under this okay. category. Yeah. Yeah. Just to add to that a little bit, um, it is very much a spectrum in terms of going from disordered eating to an eating disorder. Okay. Oftentimes we look at how much it's impacting daily life. Mm-hmm. So if it's impacting your relationships, your ability to work, your health in other ways, um, that's often an indicator. But also we talk a lot about people tend to think they're not sick enough. If they're not underweight, they might think, I don't have an eating disorder. It's not that bad. I'm a normal weight or something like that. Um, And we disagree with that. So we think that um, you can fall within that in terms of severity and still have some disordered eating to address. Right. I think for a lot of people, when they think of eating disorders, they, they have those images that people see online with people who are like really thin. Um, And so you bring up a good point that it has absolutely no actual like basis on like how you physically look but more so on like the behaviors and how it's impairing your your functioning right yeah absolutely okay so you mentioned that there's several different types of eating disorders Mm -hmm. um so how about we break each one down for our listeners so um anorexia how would you describe that great So the actual definition for anorexia is characterized by excessive restriction, often weight loss, and distorted body image. But really, it's just severe restriction and malnutrition Mm -hmm. for an individual. And this is often what people think the most of, right, when they think of an eating disorder. But it is actually the least common of eating disorders. Yeah, and um, you sent me some great articles, which we'll also post up on witandreason.com on our show page. Um, And it, it... Actually, it even surprised me that it mentioned that anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric disorder Mm -hmm. and that those deaths can be a result of various risks associated with the condition from suicide to heart failure. Mm -hmm. And when people, I mean, we've talked about suicide a lot on on this show and suicide prevention, um, and a lot of people associate that with like, you know, someone who's struggling with the depression or, um, or bipolar disorder. But I mean, no one really associates that type of mortality rate with an eating disorder. Right. And recently, actually, anorexia is now the second cause of death for mental illness. I think one of those articles is a little bit outdated. Yeah. And opioid use disorder is now number one. Okay, yeah. But the stats are still sort of used interchangeably. Right. There's not a lot of research, unfortunately, for eating disorders, and so they're vastly underfunded Uh in a lot of different ways. But, um, yeah, people don't understand that this isn't a vanity, this isn't a choice. Eating disorders aren't something that you can just choose to snap out of. They're they're true disorders and require appropriate treatment to be able to overcome, and and they are in many cases deadly. Right. And we'll talk a little bit more about... um, why someone would struggle with an eating disorder. But let's go ahead and and, uh, define some of those other ones that you've mentioned. So anorexia would be um, withholding food, Mm -hmm. right? And then you have... um, What's another one? You mentioned um, binge eating. Binge eating disorder is characterized by recurrent binge eating without compensatory behaviors. Mm -hmm. So just to go into bulimia quickly, bulimia nervosa is characterized by eating large quantities of foods, often called loss of control eating. Mm -hmm. So past the point of hunger, often in a very quick or frenzied state. But people with bulimia, after they have a binge episode, will do some sort of compensatory behavior, either 
um, vomiting, taking different laxatives or pills, working out. And that's an interesting thing. People don't often think of excessive exercise as problematic, especially in our culture. And it's definitely a huge, a huge way it shows up. Is there, are there numbers on like what, what, uh, qualifies excessive exercising or is that just another kind of case by case how it impacts your functioning? I'd say it's case by case, certainly. Um, And the intention of why you're exercising. So there might be an athlete that's used to training every day for something and that's part of their lives. Um, But their goal might be health and wellness as opposed to someone who's thinking, oh, I had cake last night, so I must go for a two hour run this morning. So it's also looking at the reasons behind why they're exercising. Okay. Um, And then did you want to break down some of those other uh, eating disorders that you mentioned? Sure. So the big name ones. <laughs> no, the OSFED, otherwise specified feeding or eating disorder, is really any sort of diagnostic criteria that's not necessarily able to be fit into anorexia, bulimia, or binge eating, but it's still a disordered behavior. So either periods of restriction, some element of overeating, but not necessarily enough episodes to be counted under bulimia nervosa or not quite enough restriction to be counted as anorexia. So again, it's more of that spectrum okay. for people. Okay. And then RFID, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, is more about people have limitations in either the amount or the type of food they eat. So this is often called picky eating, and you think of kids a lot. That's like that's the first thing that came to my mind mm-hmm. when you mentioned it. I was imagining, right. you know, the children or babies that I've worked with that kind right. of struggle with that. And this is a different eating disorder because while not all of the eating disorders are about weight or shape concerns, there often is a drive for thinness or a drive for a certain element of control. And with ARFID, it's often not related to body image. Either there can be an episode where someone choked and had some sort of trauma with food or had something else around food, so they want to avoid it. They only want to eat certain safe foods. Mm-hmm. They have sort of the sensory type experience. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a very different um, illness to work with. Okay. Yeah. And how do both of you work with people um, who might be experiencing eating disorders specifically? I work with people on the organization side mostly, and I get to share my story a lot. So I always joke that I don't have fancy letters behind my name, Uh like some people here do, Uh, (laughs) but I have a story. And so there's a different kind of street cred that comes with that and a different level of trust that I create by being, I always say, awkwardly honest with people that we encounter in the community. And a lot of people, as they start the recovery process, think it'll always be this way. I'm never going to get better. Mm this doesn't seem like it's going to work for me. And so I'm sort of that unicorn. I always say I'm living proof that it can get better and you can get better and it's worth it. Yeah. Okay. So our primary program at Rock Recovery is a three hour per week group therapy session. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I run on Sunday nights in Arlington. And we require everyone in that program to have their own individual therapist as well. And we certainly recommend a um, registered dietitian and psychiatrist as well. So it's really a team effort yeah. in how we support them. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, unlike um, some other disorders, I mean, eating disorders is very much, I mean, everything is mind and body, but very much so um, mind and body influence here in w- that we're looking at with eating disorders. And so it's it's nice to hear that there is that requirement that you have the dietitian and the psychiatrist and their therapist all kind of working together, mm-hmm. I'm hoping, um, plus the group treatment aspect of it. Now, a lot of people kind of shy away from group treatment. Um, what has your experience been with people coming to group 
to talk about something that could be so private and uh, sensitive topic to them. Yeah, I think every client that comes in and hasn't been in a group setting before is very anxious about joining it and mm-hmm. anxious about um, divulging that much personal information. But we really quickly, after one or two sessions, get great feedback from them talking about how relieving it is to meet other people that totally understand what you're going through mm-hmm. and to feel that support beyond just the therapist, but also your peers. Yeah. Um, and being seen in that way is really unique mm-hmm. and it's really an added benefit in recovery. Yeah. And since there is so much stigma out there still, unfortunately, with mental health and with eating disorders in particular, it can be so helpful for our clients to realize, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. It's not right. just not just me. And one of the unique things about rock recovery, we try to combine, we say, the experts and the clinicians, the community and the peers who get it, and then helping people find their values and their beliefs so they can figure out who they really are and right. beyond their eating disorder. Right. It's is that something that you found helpful for you in your recovery process? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't realize how much of my identity was driven by my performance or by my appearance or mm-hmm. fitting the standards and the molds that society tells you to fit. And it was kind of life altering at the age of 23 to take a step back and look at all of that and figure out, wait, what, what do I value? What do I want to be? Yeah. What do I think really matters? Yeah. yeah. And that's something that you, you mentioned you were working through since age of 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that like a, a common age that people might start developing an eating disorder around uh, that early adolescence or, yeah, I see you nodding. <laughs> yeah, adolescence yeah. is often a, a typical time for onset. I believe sort of that the time between high school and college is the most common uh-huh. age. And yet we see people, you know, as long as as young as seven or eight start mm-hmm. to exhibit behaviors or even have full-fledged anorexia, depending on some of the different cases that we've seen, but oftentimes it does start in adolescence and yet that doesn't disqualify, unfortunately, people who are past that from either developing an eating disorder or just sort of living with it under the radar for a very long time. Right. And what do you think it is um, around either adolescence or even younger or, or older that, um, that, that starts that development of, of the, the eating disorder, or of those behaviors related to the eating disorder? What kind of motivates that, you think, for people? Again, case by case, that's (laughs) always our answer, right? Um, So Christy will talk a little bit more about the kind of nature versus nurture of that. There's Mm -hmm. some studies on genetics. Obviously, some of your upbringing can contribute to that, some cultural ideas. A lot of times trauma, any kind of trauma can kind of spur on some of those acts. Um, Yeah, Christy, you want to add to that? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it varies person to person again. That's totally true. Mm -hmm. And one thing we see is life changes are a big thing for people. So it Mm. can be moving, it can be experiencing a trauma, but really change is such a big trigger for people, especially as it relates to an eating disorder, because often it's a coping mechanism or a mechanism of of control. We can control very few things in this world, Mm -hmm. though I try every day. And (laughs) food, right? And food (laughs) is really that one thing that here, at least we often have a lot of control over. And Another really tough thing that can really 
add to eating disorders and and contribute to their onset is dieting, Mm -hmm. which seems sort of counterintuitive because you think, oh, isn't dieting really something we want to be healthier? And but really dieting often, depending on your genetics and how your how your brain works and everything else, it can either trigger you to go deeper and deeper into the disordered eating pattern. So for some people, once they start restricting, their brain really lights up and those reward mechanisms come on for them and it becomes really hard to keep eating or to keep feeling yourself adequately. And then for other people, when they diet and lose weight, you know, what happens when you go on a diet and you lose weight? You gain it right back. You gain it right back. (laughs) But before you gain it right back, you get all these compliments, right? That's why I've stopped commenting on people's bodies good for you you know I mean like you kind of grow up in this society where it's like something nice to say like oh you look really good or I could tell you've been working out but mm-hmm. but you don't know number one how they got there whether or not that was a healthy practice that got them to those changes and number two how much right. that impacts their psychology around their body and so I just stop that's the right thing yeah we've had clients who were battling cancer while they were battling their eating disorder or before and people were saying oh my gosh you look great what's your secret oh my gosh, yeah they're like not a secret anyone wants to follow right, right. this is not this is not good yeah and mm-hmm. so and with the problem with dieting in particular is once you start it kind of turns into a hamster wheel for a lot of people mm-hmm. so One of the really interesting statistics here is that of people who go on diets, 35% of them turn into pathological dieters. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, years go by and you're always, always on a diet. Yeah. And then past that, if you're one of those pathological dieters, about a quarter of them turn into full-fledged eating disorders. So it is sort of this slippery slope. And Mm -hmm. that was a lot of my story personally, too. I was a ballerina. And, of course, a lot of focus on shape and size and thinness and all of the rest. And then... I did what any person would do when I went through puberty and and my body started to change. You know, I read the magazines and it's like, oh, I can lose 10 pounds. I can do this. Mm. What could go wrong? And it turns out a lot. Yeah. But it often starts really harmlessly for people. And it's tough when people want to be healthy and have mixed messages and really unhelpful messages coming at them. Mm -hmm. What would you guys say would be like the red flags to know that it's going into that unhealthy area? Because it seems like as you guys are talking about it, that, you know, if someone starts dieting or trying to adjust their eating behaviors for their, you know, career, if it's like an athletic career or um, or for the general health, like how, what are like the red flags that you think people should pay attention to? Is like, okay, now I'm going off into this really unhealthy place and I don't want to do that. Right. So red flags, one can be the horrible irony of an eating disorder is often you enter into it trying to be in control and suddenly you realize you're out of control. So we have this story that we share at one of our support groups where a woman tells a story when she came home from school one day and thought, oh, I'm hungry. I'll go eat, you know, a cookie or something from the bin. And she opened up the bin and she stared on it and she thought, if someone paid me to eat that, I couldn't eat it right now. And so... One sign to look for is suddenly being unable to eat foods that you used to be able to eat before, being afraid of certain foods, having a lot of good food, bad foods, fear or moral judgment around food, having anxiety. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes people will want to have control over what they're eating, so they have to pick the restaurant. They have to pack their food. They won't eat food that's just served to them. So some of that rigidity is a really really big warning sign Mm -hmm. and, and feeling out of control. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we try to encourage and teach our clients as they're going through recovery is flexibility around food. Mm-hmm. So I know Christy wrote a blog one time about 
um, wanting to eat her own wedding cake. And mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. It's like if someone's missing out on big moments of their life or the communal activity of eating with other people, a lot of times that's a big signal yeah. that their eating has become disordered. Wow. I just got the chills when, when you said that. I mean, like I couldn't imagine how much control you lose when you don't feel comfortable to eat your own like wedding cake, like something so monumental in your life. And food is very much a big part of our lives and our culture. I mean, especially even like socially. So I can only imagine what the struggle must be like for people when they're, when they maybe want to socially engage or want to be able to enjoy these moments in life, but just can't. Yeah. And this is kind of related, but we might get to this later. But a lot of times we also talk about like a lot of times eating disorders are associated with like maybe substance abuse, things like that. Mm-hmm. And you think about like if you're struggling with alcoholism, you can just stop drinking and never drink again. Mm-hmm. But with eating disorders, you have to continue eating and you're faced with this challenge multiple times right. every day for the rest of your life. So it really is a struggle in terms of like learning mm-hmm. how to integrate eating healthily into your everyday life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we talk about um, alcoholism, you know, Part of the process is like altering your life so that way, at least in the beginning, you're not confronted by like you don't go to your regular bars as you usually do or you don't go to those social events that have alcohol in it. But with eating disorders, that's something that someone has to work through in like every aspect of their day almost. Right. And oftentimes the avoidance is the problem, right? So it's not a healthy boundary. It's mm-hmm. a it's a sign that something is disordered. And the other problem with that too, I, I feel like I'm really bashing the culture, which I kind of mean to do, but <laughs> also our world is so disordered where oftentimes when you don't eat the cake or you don't, you know, go to the buffet, people praise you when really right. you're missing out on breaking bread and community. And that's the most powerful thing we can really do together. Mm-hmm. There was this quote from Maya Angelou that we heard the other day, and it says, I'm concerned that Americans are losing that place of meeting. There are very few times we can be more intimate as to share food together. Yeah. And that's where relationship happens is, you know, around the table, right? right. If you can't be in that intimate, healthy relationship with other people, you're missing out on the most beautiful moments of life. Absolutely. I am so glad you guys brought that up, and especially about how life changes or some of the major like stressors that kind of might be around the onset of developing an eating disorder. I think a lot of people kind of take that for granted how much a life change can impact them and their psychology and and their health and wellness. Um, Now, can you tell us a little bit more about like, okay, so what do we do? Okay, so if we have listeners who are saying, oh, I have some of those red flags going on or I'm actually thinking about some people in my life who I know um, are in that 35% of uh, people who are regularly dieting. Um, so whether for yourself and for if you know someone who, someone else who's experiencing some of these symptoms, red flags, like what do we do? How do we support ourselves and others? Therapy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I think absolutely like seeking out some professional health help, whether it's a registered dietitian, a therapist, um, a psychiatrist, even there's great resources. There's some great books out there, workbooks, things like that. But I think initially, even if you're just trying to dissect what your behaviors are Mm -hmm. or how the degree of severity of what you're struggling with, it's always helpful to have an objective outside perspective on what's going on. So I think that's always our first recommendation. Ours too here at Wit and Reason. (laughs) 
Absolutely. And in addition to bringing in the expert and getting professional help, it is often helpful to break the isolation and tell somebody. I remember when I went through treatment, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to tell my roommate. And it sounded so scary and so horrible. Mm -hmm. And she was so supportive. She was a great source of strength for me day after day. You know, she prayed for me. She checked in with me. She was just so kind. And even when she didn't know what to say, it didn't matter because I knew she was supporting me and she cared. And that went such a far away for me just to feel like, oh, I'm not alone in this. It's not bigger than me. I can get through this. Yeah, but therapy, but for sure and, therapy. And what was it about what your roommate said or did that helped you feel supported in that moment? It was just the normalization of it. There wasn't this awkward moment. There wasn't this thing where I felt less than or separate. I think it, I just, when she looked at me, she just saw Christy and she just wanted to help her friend and it didn't feel like there needed to be the shame anymore or this fear or the other pieces that were a part of it. It really was just how she presented, how she showed up with me. And it wasn't like she said the magic words or, mm-hmm. you know, did anything. Yeah, just, it was how she made me feel. And the fact that she said, listen, I'm here for you. I don't know what to do, but we'll figure it out. And like, let's go. Okay. Yeah. That, that's amazing. I'm so glad that you had someone like that in your life. And, yeah. and then in that moment who could be there for you support you, normalize it and say like, I don't know what to do or say here, but we're going to figure this out. That must be, that must have been so reassuring for you. Yeah, it was. And we always say one of the big tips we give people is if you have someone in your life that you're worried about, you can wait all day long to find the right time to figure out how, what I'm going to say, use the right words. I mean, this is literally my job. And even I sometimes feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. approaching people who I think need some help. Yet it's always the person first approach. So to go to someone and say, listen, I really care about you. I love you. I think I see you coping in some destructive and unhelpful ways. And I know you're going through a lot. I know life is really stressful, but let's see what we can do to help you get onto a healthy balanced path again. Cause I think, I think we need some help. Yeah. And just cause people often, if you say, oh, you're eating too little or too much or working out too little or too much, people will get defensive about the behavior. Mm-hmm. But if people, someone comes to you and says, Hey, I love you. I'm worried about you. It's a little harder to be defensive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's really helpful too. Did you have something to to add as well? Yeah. I just real quick kind of wanted to add on to what we were talking about and go back to, we talked a little bit about the mortality rates of anorexia and all of that. And I want to just mention that eating disorders do have high comorbidity too with, um, other, mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. So um, there is a vicious cycle between depression or OCD or Mm -hmm. anxiety with eating disorders and especially like starvation or malnourishment can add to those. And so there's like this extra level beyond maybe the eating disorders that can happen. It's kind of like the chicken or the egg (laughs) as an effect of the eating disorder or um, before the eating disorder. So um, that's another thing that you need to explore at the same time as well. Right. I mean, uh, both of you sent uh, sent me an uh, article that talked a little bit more about the genetics of eating disorders, and we didn't have time to talk about it during this show, but I'll make sure to put it on the website too so people have a better understanding of that mind-body connection um, and really what's going on with people who are experiencing um, struggles relating to um, eating disorders. But thank you both so much for participating in, um, on today's show and for sharing sharing your experiences with us, um, both personal and, and professional, and all of your tips and wisdom. We really appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Did you hear something on the show today that you relate to on a personal level? Share your story. 
Send us your recording on witandreason.com and we may be able to post it on our Eating Disorders and Healthy Living show page to help others navigate eating and body image issues. A special thank you to DC Radio. And of course, thank you all for listening. Stay posted on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Wit and Reason and DC Radio for our next show. I'm Dr. Alexis Moreno. Let's keep the conversation going. You've been listening to Wit and Reason with psychologist Dr. Alexis Moreno. For more information, visit witandreason.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.